Have you ever said that? Through a series of circumstances or what you've read, you read something in God's word and then you like, what? It's, it happens like immediately the way that thing plays out. This past week, our whole church was studying in their daily discipleship guides on how the church is sent to encourage believers. That was the text, that was the message. One of our kids' Bible study classes last week got into service a little early, and I was grateful for it. Many of you were handed a little note of encouragement. What a blessing. You've tucked your somewhere special, I hope I did. Um, I got mine from Trip. And, I mean, I get to single him out because I'm the pastor and I have the microphone. That's the way this thing works. But anyway, I'm grateful. And other little kids were passing out notes, and you could just see um, adults light up in the room. There's something about the power of encouragement. The lesson was based on Acts 11. And it was in our project called The Gospel Project. And as we studied that, we, we learned this week that the people of God celebrate and encourage new believers, they disciple new believers, and they provide for the needs of other believers through their generosity. <laughs> All of our students and adults should have been dialed in to what was going on in culture and had an aha moment this week and even at the end of the sermon, about halfway through the sermon this morning, you should pick up on what the Lord is speaking to Grace Covenant Church today compassion and generosity go hand in hand. Some, here's some of the quotes you read this week in your daily discipleship guide. Notice I'm taking for granted that everyone did the reading. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's some of what you read in case you need a reminder. Uh, if you're generous, you don't have to worry about what you've lost. That's good. The joy of generosity is that it both supplies the needs of the saints and glorifies God. This is what discipleship is all about, following Jesus so that you and others can become more like him. One more. One of the ordinary means by which God cares for his people is through the generosity of his people. Now make no mistake, I do not believe that our current administration in D.C. timed the stimulus payouts to millions of Americans with the lesson plan with the Gospel Project. I don't think that was probably on their radar. But I do believe that God speaks through his word in a timely way, on time, every time. Wow. How have you been challenged this week? Some of you, not all, I understand that. But some of us, many of us, some of you watching this morning have more than enough. What could we do to advance the kingdom? when unexpected things fall into our lap. God is full of compassion. The laws that Jeremy read for us this morning show his protection for the disadvantaged and the defenseless. In fact, I'm going to comment this morning. I'm going to title the message, guess what, part three. Real exciting title there. You like that? But loving God and loving others. And this is part three as we've looked into this law here in Exodus 21 through 23. I would give that little subtitle there, though, to others in need. We as Christians are challenged by the Word of God, Old Testament and New, to also show compassion to those who are strangers and widows and orphans, 
like Israel, we've been set apart by God, except we, on this side of the resurrection, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we get to walk in the Word and walk in the Spirit and show His glory as our lives are marked with compassion and integrity and generosity. Loving God and loving others, loving others in need. We're going to dive right in this morning. We'll move at a pace that is aggressive because we have a lot of text to cover, but the lessons are so timely this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, I would write this down. Look out for the needy. Look out for the needy. The text there we've already read, I will read that one verse that we haven't read yet, but it's in those first passages there, verses 21 through 24, where the Lord's saying, don't wrong a sojourner and look out, don't mistreat a widow or a father's child. If you've got your Bibles open there, and I hope that you do, if not, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. That's for you this morning. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, you get to take that with you. We planned for that. So we really want you to have a copy of God's Word. And uh, if you need one, you see me after church. Believe it or not, I own more than one copy as a preacher. I can hook you up today. Um, you need to get into the Word so the Word can get into you. Look at chapter 23, verse 9. It's not on the screen, but it's very similar to what's written that we've already read. Verse 9 says, You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God is speaking to Israel. Remember, just uh, not many days removed from their Egyptian bondage. And God is caring here for the strangers, the widows, and the orphans. Alan Cole, a noted writer, comments on this passage, love for the, res the resident alien is not based on humanitarianism, but on a fellow feeling which comes from deep personal experience of God's saving grace when in a like situation. That's a mouthful to basically say, we don't just take care of the foreigner because it makes us feel good, we take care of the foreigner because as people of God, we too are foreigners here on this earth. And we have received much from God. Christians in America have an extraordinary opportunity to reach the world by loving internationals. People still immigrate to the United States. And if you think I'm about to make a political statement, you need to turn off the news feed in your life because I'm not talking anything about that. People still come to this great nation. In fact, one out of every 10 students involved in higher education is an international. Yet, only one in seven of those have any meaningful contact with Christians while they're here. How can these things be? People from all over the world come here to study. We're praying to reach the nations and our neighbors. And in some instances, our neighbors are from the nations. It's a great opportunity for us, church. I wonder even in this congregation, among the pews at Grace Covenant, maybe even online this morning, do we have access? Is there a door or a window open to us that, that we don't know about yet as a church that you know of? Hit me up, send me an email. How can we engage and care for some international students? I, I dare say that many of us had a meal this week, yes. Some of us may have had the privilege of having one at home. 
around the table. For some of you, it was still takeout. That's okay. God bless this takeout. It's all good. For some of you, it was a home-cooked meal, whatever it was. What would it look like to invite, just not to add something to your calendar, but to add someone to your table that might benefit beautifully from just being around you? Now, I don't mean you've got to hit them over the head with a family-sized Bible the second they walk in the door. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying you living out compassionate generosity and watching it draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. God expects us to care for those in need because he cared for us when we were in desperate need. This passage also mentions widows and orphans. Can I, for time's sake, point you back to the sermon I preached in January on how we care for those in our community, caring for the widows and the orphans? We characterize them. I don't know if you remember. They both started with V's as the vulnerable and the, does anybody remember? Voiceless. Those that can't speak up for themselves. God cares for them. Here's the flip, though. You ready? God cared for us. When we were fatherless without a heavenly father, he adopted us into his family. When we were a widow in need of a groom, you see some of you New Testament scholars are going, ah, I see what you did there. God sent his son. When we were strangers to his grace, he welcomed us in by his spirit. Those who know such love should be the very ones showing it to this broken world. Why? Because in verse 23 of chapter 22 there, it says, When they cry out to me, I will hear their cry. God hears the cry of the desperate. Can I say to you this morning, if you're desperate this morning, you feel alone, you feel broken, you feel cut off, desperate, cry out to God. He hears your cry. Now, you ready for this? This is a big woe moment. It won't be a big shocker to my Grace Covenant family. They've heard me go here before. You want to know how God answers your prayer most of the time? With the pews of the church. God responds to the cry of the people with his people being compassionate and generous look out for the needy number two look out for the poor second point this morning look out for the poor it's right here in the text exodus 22 verses 25 through 27 that text has already been read for us this morning i'm grateful for that but i do want to just kind of dive in for a moment it says verse 25 if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. Now, some of you are like, can you send this to my mortgage banker? Because, listen, I tell you, they are not living biblically, right? Um, this is not talking about money for borrowing money for large purchases or business lending. That's not what's going on here. We're talking about this kind of... Um, exploiting the poor with unreasonable interest. I didn't ask permission to share this story. It's not about my wife, so I'm, I could possibly get by with it, although my in-laws are with me this morning. My brother-in-law worked in construction. He worked at a sawmill and a log home building company for a while, and his immediate supervisor um, had a tag on his license on his car that said, to me, Jesus is first. Now, I love him. He's a hilarious man. He's in heaven now. 
Um, I'm not going to say his name, but um, I'm grateful for that. But Dustin never had two nickels to rub together. Like, he never had any money. All he wanted was a moon pie and a cheer of wine. I mean, he, that was where he was at that moment, right? Which is what? At a, at a drugstore or at a, uh, a gas station. Are you out three bucks for that? So he would ask his boss, hey, man, can I, can I have some money for this? And every time, he's like, yep, I'll loan you three, but it'll cost you six. I'll lo- every time. And I'm thinking, that's a good lesson if he, at some point, is going to give all that money back to him and say, now, I did this for you to teach you a lesson. No, he kept it. <laughs> Spent it on himself. Come on. We didn't know this passage then. We were both young in our faith. Borrowing and lending is not what's being prohibited from here, but it's about exploiting the poor. God provides here for the sake of the poor. It's a command to show compassion and mercy. Why did he do this? Because when they cry out, he hears. Jesus referred to this and to other ideas found right here in these case laws. I'm thinking of my attorney here in the audience this morning and maybe a few watching online. The case laws here, Jesus sums up beautifully in Luke 6. I wonder if you can turn there. I may have the screen. Oh, I've got it up on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there this morning. Jesus begins summarizing some of these laws, and here's what he says. In verse 30, he actually says, give to everyone who begs from you. He picks up in verse 33, and do good to those. If you do good to those who do good to you, what have you done? For even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What? Give without expecting a return? Well, that's not very American, is it? Well, I want to remind you, we're citizens of another country first. Of another country first. We're pilgrims passing through. Now, let me acknowledge this in the room for all of us who want to be practical and do what's best. They, there are times that it's more merciful, watch this, not to give to someone in need if your giving supports a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. But I'm afraid many of us operate our lives like that's the rule and not the exception. The rule is, Jesus said, give to everyone who begs from you. Or the rule, it's the next verse, Mark, if you'll throw it up, is this. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. That's the rule. The exception is, yes, there are some times, like if you know, and you can see what's about to happen, well, let's go down. Here's where I would say the exception comes in. The exception comes in if you get to know the person. And you find there's another way to better be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Maybe they don't need cash from you, but a gift card for a burger just up the road might help. Or a blanket might help. Or a bottle of water might help. Give. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Look out for the poor. Look out for the needy. Third thing this morning in our text is we're moving quickly this morning. Exodus 22, verse 28. This is a, I'm going to tell you something as a, as a preacher. This is a poor um, note for you here, but it's, it's the best I could do to hang something on. Um, honor leadership, because God's going to mention honoring his own name here, but also those around you. So this is, it's much more than just honoring leadership here. Would you look at verse 28? The Bible says you shall not revile God. The ESV renders it that. Some of your translations say blaspheme. It's a strong word there. Nor curse a ruler of your people. A very, well, you're like, what does it have to do with loving God and loving others in need? It actually has a lot to do with it. One of the ways that we live out 
the gospel is with our lips. <laughs> and we do that, we try to do it with integrity. We need to watch what we say about the Lord when things don't go our way. Hello? And about leaders with whom we disagree. Especially those that when we look in our Bibles, God has ordained and set up as authorities over us. Doesn't mean we can't be critical, but when we move from criticism to contempt, there's a problem. We actually begin to revile the name of the Lord. Remember the song, Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. That was sung to me a little more in an ominous tone when I was a child growing up in church and I was ready for God to come down with a club. I thought they were saying club. Well, the Father up above is looking down with a club. <laughs> be careful, little tongue. The word here in the original language to blaspheme and to revile is not just using to curse God's name. Watch this. It's to dishonor his name by failing to acknowledge the full weight of his majesty. To treat God with such disrespect is a sin against the third commandment. It's a way of taking his name in vain. Let me touch it this way very practically. Our natural bent as Westerners, especially Americans, our natural bent there, I don't know why I go Southern when I do that, sorry, is to, it pushes us toward being revolutionaries. That's kind of wired into our history. It's wired into our thinking we like to push back anytime somebody tells us to do something we don't want to do. Now, we chastise our kids for it. I'm not sure we do a lot better as adults sometimes, right? I don't want to. That's what we're saying on the inside. Like, you need to do this. I don't want to, right? Wear a seatbelt. You can't make me. Whatever it is. There, there are things we like to push back on. We... we in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, we're mighty cavalier with our tongues because we call it free speech. James would say, with our tongues we bless the Lord and Father and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth can blessing and cursing come? These things ought not be. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Honor the Lord by how we keep his commandments and walk in the Spirit. Honor the Lord by how we treat one another. Right on the heels of honoring the Lord. I will say this, just as a side note, the notes are um, online for you, and I'm happy to publish this a little later. There's all kind of scripture in the New Testament from Acts 23 and Romans 13 and 1 Timothy and 1 Peter. You writing all this down? No? Okay. Anyway, it's all throughout the New Testament. This is not an Old Testament like description of something they had to do then and we're free from it now, no. But right on the heels of honoring the Lord, we come to our next point, which speaks right to what our lesson was on this week. Be givers, not takers. Be givers and not takers. Look at verses 29 and 30 with me there. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. And some of you go like, I don't have presses. This verse is not for me. Wrong. False, as Dwight would say. The firstborn of your sons, I only have a girl. No, there's a principle here we're going to get to, right? The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep seven days with his mother. Oh, pastor, I'm not, I don't have a farm. 
This does not apply. Moving on. That's, you know better than that. That's not how this thing works. That's not how any of this works. Look in the next passage in, in 23.19. It's toward the end of the, the text that we're trying to cover this morning. Uh, chapter 23, verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord. This does not mean for you to go into your yard and dig up the pretty Bermuda or the poa that's growing in your yard. I have enough at my house. I don't need any more of those, please, okay? It's not what this is talking about. What's the principle here? Let me back up. What we owe to one another because of God is compassion. And then the psalmist, in light of that, would say, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his goodness? What we owe to one another is compassion, but what do we owe God? Well, we owe God our best, our gifts, our first fruits. The Old Testament word here is tithe, which indicates the first tenth. According to the law, the Israelites had to bring God the first and best of their grain and their grapes and their firstborn of their flocks and even the firstborn in their families not to sacrifice in that way that pagan cults would do in fact it was right in the face of pagan cults they were saying no 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 you're offering this child to the Lord to say here's the best we have as a family we're reminded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that everything we have belongs to God that's a distinction for the child of God church family everything we have belongs to God and when I find myself in the presence of folks who are selfish with their money and don't seem to have a grasp of this reality that everything we have belongs to God they're missing the fact that the proper way for us to acknowledge this is to give God some, as he directs, of our very best back to him. Our second best is never good enough for God. Question, so pastor, how much should we give God? How much should we give to his work? How much do we give to the church? You ready for this answer? As much as we can and more and more and more all the time. From your reading this week in your daily discipleship guide, remember, if you're generous, you don't have to worry about what you've lost. The joy of generosity is that it both supplies the need of the kingdom and glorifies God. In our basic church membership class, we discuss this generous lifestyle. This way we say it, we practice faithful, generous, and at times sacrificial giving in offerings to support Christ's body, to support the church, and the advance of his kingdom as he commands. We make an explicit commitment to that as members through our membership covenant. Great, that's what you say, that's what the covenant says. What does the, oh, there it is. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful, easy for you to say, giver. Not sorrowfully, the Amplified would blow up for us there. God takes pleasure in a joyous, prompt-to-do-it kind of giver whose heart is in the giving. I'm gonna pop a few of your balloons this morning. Probably nobody at Grace Covenant, maybe one or two watching online. Here we go, ready? The context of this verse, look at it, is not for the believer to decide whether or not they're going to give. Well, I haven't purposed in my heart to give. False, wrong, that's not how any of this works. It's whether or not he will give sparingly or generously. 
Context is important. Show me a professing Christian that uses this verse to justify their selfishness. And I'll let you look in the mirror of God's word to see this. They're stunted in their growth and they're disobedient in worship. God doesn't want you to stunt your growth. God doesn't want your money to bring you misery. A biblical perspective means it will bring you joy as you sow into God's kingdom. God is setting us apart. We're weirdos because of how we spend our money. We are. Welcome to the club. It's a sanctified kind of crazy. It's how it works. You're not our own. We're bought with a price. We glorify God in our body. God is setting us apart with compassion and generosity. I'm ready for him to move on. Good, here I go. Notice how all this text here, how they treated the needy and the poor, how faithful and generous they were in their giving is attached to them honoring or reviling the Lord. It's the same for us today. Our actions as we walk in the Spirit display a lifestyle to the world that makes them scratch their heads and wonder, who are you people? And we say, we are the people of God, filled with His Spirit, walking in step with His Word. So we're going to do things that don't make a whole lot of worldly sense number five moving on in the text this morning two more practical sections we'll cover facilitating justice with integrity facilitating justice with his integrity how do we love God and love others we're people of justice I know it's a buzzword in our culture right now and there are all kinds of words that go in front of that for our culture but the reality is justice is justice from God's perspective Let's see what the Lord has to say about it. Now we need to look at some of these verses because we haven't read this yet. You've got your Bibles? Chapter 23, verses one through three. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. It picks up in verses six through eight says, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge. Don't kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. Then he talks about taking a bribe, all that. We're a people of justice. Here are two points I take from this text. If you're making notes, these are not actually published in the notes. These are worth writing down. Here's two points I think. We spread the truth. We avoid false reports. You can write down spread the truth or avoid false reports. If you're a person who likes that negative reinforcement, you write avoid the false reports. If you like that positive reinforcement, you write spread the truth. I tried to cover both ends this morning. Got it? Avoid false reports. Now you read this. I read this. If I'm going fast through my Bible reading, here's what I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, we don't lie. Moving on. But the attorneys listening to me know the difference between that. This is a false report. A false report can be lies, of course, but these are reports that are not firmly established in fact. I know our our skilled litigators can pick those apart in a courtroom, but they will tell you they want to keep those things from ever being said in the hearer of those who will decide the fate of the case, the jury. You don't want things said that aren't completely true. Why? Because it has a lasting impact on its hearers. It might be stricken from the record. The jury can be instructed by the judge to to disregard that false report, but you can't unhear it. And it shows up in the deliberation room later as they're talking, and they keep having to be instructed, wait, 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 we can't bring that up. That was stricken from the record. It still clouds the mind. 
You want to talk about an applicable text on generosity? Yes, of course. Uh, Taking care of the poor and the needy? Absolutely. How about this one on false reports? In light of the conspiracy theories and our current struggles to get to the truth, this passage takes on a whole new level of application for us today. Listen to me, church. This is talking about a report that may or may not be true. The problem is you don't know whether it is or isn't. That's the problem. It's based on unreliable combination of hearsay, conjecture, usually with a little bit of prejudice mixed in for good measure. Even if some of it may prove true, if it's not well-founded, it should not be spread. Paul would refer to this as gossip in the New Testament. You need to think before you say something, before you share something, before you forward something. You need to think about it. Is it truthful? Some of you have this up in your home with small kids. We do. We have it in our home. I have to read this and be reminded. Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary for you to say, forward, spread, what you're about to say? Is it kind? Think. Surely we can think. Two principles I said here under this being a people of justice. Number one was to avoid false reports. The second is to avoid prejudice. It's not a political statement I'm going to make here, but let me make this statement from a worldview perspective. Socialism is legalized covetousness. Unrestrained capitalism incentivizes greed. One favors the poor as virtuous. One favors the wealthy as wise. At the root of both is the love of money. Unrestrained capitalism, I said. Some of you are like, wait, what did he say? Take a breath. Money cannot play a part in real justice. God here, remember in previous message, I talked about the eye for an eye. You think, oh, that sounds gross, grotesque. But the reality is it took money out of the the, uh, game for consideration of justice. Here we see God saying the same thing. God is saying it cautions us over ascribing innocence and virtue to somebody just because of their financial state. It is true that God is on the side of the poor against injustice, but God also knows that poor people are sinful just like everybody else. Romans 3.23, for all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Old Testament, all we like sheep, Isaiah would say, have gone astray. We've led everyone into their own way. In a legal situation, this means that a poor man or woman is just as likely to be guilty as anybody else. We've got to go on the basis of truth. God loves the poor, but he's not sentimental about the virtues of poverty. And he will not allow financial need to become an excuse for injustice. If a man is guilty, he should be condemned. How does that play into us? We've got to be careful with how we advocate and advance. We've got to be a people of justice at the same time of mercy. Lastly this morning, final point. I'm closing quickly. You've been so patient. Number six, it's so rich this morning. I just didn't want to skip over anything. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. You talk about a counterculture. In this cancel culture that we live in, in the culture where I even seen professing Christians post garbage on social media that says stuff like, if you're negative, just delete me off of your feed. If you disagree with me, just unfriend me. What kind of world do you live in where you don't want anybody around you that disagrees with you? 
We're saying love our enemies. The Bible says here, if you meet your enemies, verses four and five, ox or his donkey going astray. Some of you are saying, oh, I don't see an ox or donkey. I'm, I'm clear, pastor. No, come on. You shall bring it back to him. If you see a donkey of one of the person who hates you, Lying down under his burden, verse 5. You shall refrain from leaving it with him. You shall rescue it. What? These verses show that loving our neighbor includes loving our enemies. And it's not okay to just not be mean. We've actually got to be kind to those who are unkind to us. Luke 6. Guys, go read Luke 6 in light of all this. It's a great Jesus kind of wrapping all this up. He says, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, turn the other one also. For the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you and for the one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Our greatest example of this being lived out is the Lord Jesus Christ For the Bible says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were enemies of God, but God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were poor and needy and not generous and selfish and dishonoring and a people of injustice, and God saw all of that and hung, bled, and died for your sin and mine bore the shame and the reproach of our guilt and punishment on an instrument of torture was taken down buried in a borrowed tomb for three days and on the third day rose to life and he's inviting all of us to come and die with him to ourselves and to be raised to newness of life That's quite a tall order this morning, right? To look out for the needy, look out for the poor, honor leadership, be givers, be agents of justice with integrity, love our enemies. Pastor, I'm just trying to get to the car without cussing. I don't know if I can do all this. Everything that you can do, everything that you ought to do, God will enable you to do by his spirit. We live on this side of the resurrection with the Holy Spirit in us. The Father leading his dear children along. There are a couple phrases in verses 1 and 2 of 23. I'm closing with this, don't worry. That's not fake news either. I really am. It said, don't join hands with a wicked man. Don't fall in with a many. Don't side with a many. Can I springboard off of that this morning in the closing just to say... That the many, the crowd, what's the crowd telling us today? What's culture and society and even what looks like popular Christianity screaming in our ears today? It tells us to get as much as we can. Get yours. The many are telling us to prize outward beauty more than inward piety. If you've got it, flaunt it. The many are telling us, go ahead and gratify your sinful desires. YOLO. The many are telling us not to let ourselves be inconvenienced by other people's needs. It's not my problem. The many are telling us to only trust ourselves to define who and what we are with this garbage. Follow your heart. It's your truth. No. 
Before we know it, if we join hands and fall in with them, we'll look like, sound like, spend like, think like, and behave like those who are in open rebellion to the God of this Bible. Those who have no hope and are not aware that they are perishing because they are blinded by the God of this world. We don't follow the crowd. We follow Jesus. We don't belong to this world. We belong to Him. Would you stand with me this morning all over the building? Those of you watching online, we're just about to take a moment and respond to the Word of God with the singing of songs that will plow up our heart continually with the messages of truth. We're called to be imitators of God in Ephesians 5.1. That means that when we walk in the Spirit, we give ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We do it to the needy and the poor and the oppressed and the down and out and the up and in. And we do it as we are givers and not takers. You remember the summary verse I gave you last week. The Bible says, what does God require of us but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, as we're about to sing together, I'm afraid we could press fast forward with our liturgy a little bit and miss an opportunity to repent of our sins. Lord, your word convicts and it calls us to action. May we take action now, even as these songs are being sung. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cause us to live in such a way that the world looks on and knows that we have been redeemed. We bless you. We love you. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Let's sing together.